and a big welcome to the Elevator podcast. My name is Maika and I'm Selena and together we interview high achieving personalities to get to know their journey and expertise and the barriers they have faced so far to empower and inspire you to reach your full potential and elevate your life. Hi everyone, today we are joined by Tori Ford, gender health equity advocate, researcher and entrepreneur on a mission to eliminate sexism, shame and stigma from health experiences. Tori is the founder and executive director of Medical Her Story, an award-winning youth-led international not-for-profit organization advancing gender health equity through storytelling, patient advocacy, medical education and undoing stigma. In this episode, Tori shares her own experience with medical stigma and sexism and how she built this fantastic organization. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. Great. So hi, Tori. Uh, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Um, before we dive in, would you mind giving a bit of background about yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Tori Ford. I'm the founder and executive director of Medical Her Story. Medical Her Story is an international award-winning youth-led not-for-profit, and we're on a mission to eliminate sexism, shame, and stigma from health experiences. We do this across our three main portfolios of medical education, where we target current and future medical providers, patient advocacy, where we help people navigate the healthcare system, find their voices, and undoing stigma, where we engage the public in undoing taboos and having difficult conversations. In addition to this, I'm also an academic and researcher in women's health, currently producing a PhD at the University of Oxford in primary healthcare. Great. So Tori, can you tell us why you came to found this organization? What led you to do this? Medical Her Story was born out of my own lived experience with chronic illness, medical dismissal, and feeling really alone. Um, I'd been living with chronic yeast infections, which is a very common, very unpleasant condition for many years. And I'd been seeking out healthcare repeatedly and going through this process of being really emotional, talking about how this was affecting my life, um, how it was distressing, how I felt like nothing was working. I'd been put on different regimens that felt like doctors were just guessing at this point. And it was really difficult. And on top of that, gained so much medical dismissal and being told to, you know, just wear white underwear, to maybe take some time off school, to maybe just refrain from sex entirely and try erotic massage instead. And hearing these words after, you know, you work up the courage first to get over the stigma of your own body and say, okay, this needs help. Like, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to advocate for myself. I'm going to show up for myself. And then you get to the doctor's office and you're nervous. You know, you do everything you're supposed to do right. You know, you're honest, you share what's going on. And then there's really uncomfortable encounter where you can just see that maybe the physician has better things to do today. Ten minutes later, you're on your way home. Maybe you were able to get a referral and then you go and repeat this process with another physician, at least in my experience. And after reflecting on this and realizing, you know, everything I'd been through, I started telling bits and pieces of my story to different people about how I'd been told these really dismissive comments by multiple physicians, how I finally got a referral to a specialist who then I found out had lists and lists of allegations of sexual assault against him. And the more I started opening up to people in women's health spaces, in sexual assault support spaces, 
people started telling me, you know, you should write this. And I did. I wrote this story and it was a really healing process to be able to put into paper, you know, okay, I'm not irrational. I'm not hysterical. I'm not overreacting. Look at what's happened to me. Look at this story. And I decided to publish it in our school newspaper, which was very brave at the time uh, to become, you know, in my mind, the face of chronic yeast infections, one of the probably most taboo health conditions out there, especially for a young woman. And it actually went on to be published on the front page. And instead of hearing from other people, you know, reinforced shame or stigma or taboo, which I was sort of anticipating, I heard from so many other people that either were living with this exact same condition and facing what I was facing, or had a range of different other sexual and reproductive health conditions, and were really being dismissed and not being heard. And from there, I decided that we didn't have a place to share these stories, so I created Medical Her Story. First with my own story, and now we've shared dozens of different health conditions and helped people find their voices and really raise awareness on this. And that's, you know, where we got the name from as well. Medical Her Story is a feminist way of storytelling. It's about reclaiming that sterile medical history and really embedding it in vulnerability and honesty and showing that whole picture that often gets reduced um, to a 10 minute medical encounter. Amazing. I personally have to say like I I find this very inspiring. I'm still struggling with a thyroid dysfunction. Mm. And then in combination with contraceptive, I really struggled to find like the right path. And like again and again, I was disappointed by different advisors or gynecologists or uh, even yeah GPs and like it took me a while to find like my way through this so it's really nice to hear that you're building this platform where people tell their stories and for other yeah other people to read it actually and um, to hopefully avoid having the same kind of process you've been through. So Medical Her Story was born as a storytelling platform and that was really where my focus was. I had no idea it would grow into what it has today so I was really focused on you know not only the power of storytelling, but how can we tell the best stories possible? So our website has really unique methodology to it as well. We have a very trauma-informed team of editors that work with the authors through every step of the process, acknowledging that, you know, these stories can be really heavy, they can be really difficult, and although there is healing, there was definitely moments in my story that were harder to tell that I wasn't sure if I wanted to include, and having that experience, and our editors have all shared their stories as well, having that experience I think has been really unique, and also having custom graphic design for our authors, because when my story was published, there was a bowl of fruit, and I was not happy about this. Uh, it was sort of going against everything I'd been saying about, you know, let's not sterilize women's bodies. Let's talk about them. Let's not pretend like they're fruits and flowers. I'm so over that, honestly. Uh, so we do really powerful uh, custom graphic designs where the authors can share what visuals me- speak to them. And then we get to put it into wonderful gifts on our website. But After we'd sort of refined the storytelling process and really delved into it, we realized we could use these stories as case studies to really impact the way we give healthcare. So one of our workshops is on gender bias in medicine, where we take these stories and we present them in medical school classrooms. We presented this at the University of Cambridge in Glasgow, the University of Ottawa in Canada, uh, Karolinska in in Sweden, and then we actually just trained IFMSA's regional officers. have over 1.2 million medical students on their team and we were able to get sort of at that upper echelon of management train them on these stories on gender bias in medicine and give really practical tips and tricks 
from patients about how you can be a better provider. And often it's so simple as watching your comments. So really uh, delving into that is one of our workshops that I'm so proud that we've been able to present. It's been received really well. And then we also offer patient advocacy workshops. So acknowledging that as young women uh, and everyone across all genders actually is never trained on how to seek out medical care. You're never taught how to prepare for it, what to say to your doctor, or also informed on why you might be dismissed, why they might not take you seriously. So we really go into the history of medical dismissal, how ableism, sexism, and racism come into play. And we provide tips and tricks, which again, are from lived experience, are from people that have been in healthcare systems and sharing, you know, what has helped them along the way. And this is one of my favorite workshops. Um, I learn something new every time from other fellow patients that has helped them. And it's truly the workshop I wish I had had at the start of my healthcare journey, because often as patients, if you're not explained, you know, this system is built on sexism. This is not a space that is meant for you. You are going to face barriers to care, regardless of the gender of your physician, because sexism is a large structural systemic issue. You're going to blame yourself. You're going to think, okay, I'm not able to get through this doctor's appointment without crying. Maybe this is a mental health issue. Maybe this is something that, you know, isn't worth seeking medical care for. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this. And that's so dangerous and so damaging. And we can see in our stories where um, one of my original members for Medical Her Story, Melissa, her ovarian cancer at 18 was dismissed as menstrual cramps or constipation. And when you get to that level of dismissal and how hard she had to advocate for herself and her mother had to advocate for herself, you really can see that these are systemic issues. So we try to get in there with so many different um, avenues with our workshops specifically to create that collaborative care by educating physicians and patients because you can't really do one without the other. And then also we have a great workshop on how to reclaim your story, which is a storytelling workshop, really encouraging people, you know, how to tell how to write about the hard parts, how to get through those, what supports are there. And then in terms of events, I think we've held 25 online in the past year, everything from feminist health comedy nights to our annual feminist health research conference. We do sex positive trivia, movie screenings, academic panels. Um, we really try to do, you know, storytelling events, community events and academic events to really touch on our three pillars of engaging, you know, the community um, and getting involved in different approaches. So we make it really accessible, uh, often fun to engage people who often might not even be aware that gender bias exists. You often don't know this uh, until it's really affecting you and then it's really difficult to find resources. So getting our message out there uh, in so many different ways with storytelling always at the heart of what we do has been extremely uh, powerful for us. Yeah, I love that you're doing this and that you're doing, you're taking like both from the patient and the, the, the doctor's side because as you said, like we need to literally change, you know, how it works on, on both sides. So when you talk to current doctors about these kind of issues, how is that received from them, from their side? Yeah, so we found that most of our workshops are taking place in medical schools. So sort of before people have maybe become entrenched in their ways, but we have had some 
uh, physicians come out to those workshops and really enjoyed the content. But we've also found that there is a real hesitance to have this discussion. So Katie, one of our amazing volunteers, I should say we have over 115 volunteers on our team across seven countries and 24 universities. And I want to give them so much credit for helping develop the curriculum, sharing their stories. But Katie is one of our volunteers who started a docu-series called Clinical Encounters, which was getting medical providers' perspectives on gender bias in medicine. Her questions were easy about, you know, have you experienced discussions of gender bias in your medical training? Um, what do you do in your practice to combat medical violence, medical racism, and sexism? Um, what advice do you have for future physicians? And she had such trouble getting people who wanted to speak on the podcast. We heard from medical students that they were afraid that this could damage their potential career. We heard from other physicians that they just weren't comfortable having the conversation. She was lucky enough to find some amazing physicians, um, nurses, medical students, who uh, all the episodes are on our YouTube channel that were willing to talk about their experiences and what they're doing. But it was really eye-opening to see how reluctant people still were to have this conversation or how it could be seen as damaging to be talking about how the healthcare system is problematic, how there are real systemic problems within it that have to be addressed. So we've seen that, um, but within terms of medical students, it has been such an overwhelming positive response of people saying that this workshop is going to change the way I perform medicine. We know that uh, women within medicine are uh, still underrepresented at leadership positions. They often face a lot of harassment still. And I think that conversation has been happening much more than how providers can be perpetuating gender bias, even if they are also, you know, recipients of that discrimination. So I think it's a really important conversation to be having. And what we've seen from so many medical students and a good number of physicians is a right to have the conversation, but we've also seen that there's still so, so much work to be done. And that's why we're, we're continuing on um, every day. Amazing. It's, it's really, really great to hear. So um, these workshops, is this um, specialized only for these um, seven universities or can everybody access this kind of uh, knowledge? Yeah, so they're available to book on our website. Our patient advocacy workshop, we run every few months publicly and open and for free uh, to make it really accessible. But you can also book that if you work with another patient advocacy organization. We've given it to a few sororities as well. And then our medical education workshop is available to be booked for a fee or for a donation on our website. And we're really willing to work with different schools. It's always really interesting to hear from different medical schools, what has and hasn't been covered in the curriculum. And what we have seen is that although there's discrepancies across, you know, the UK or uh, Sweden or in Canada or in the States, conditions like chronic yeast infections, endometriosis, pelvic pain, uh, hormonal disorders are really brushed aside. Trans and non-binary health is often not even covered in these lessons. So it's really important for us to also see what's going on to make this change. And we're actually really excited in a few months, we're gonna be launching a survey with IFMSA um, on gender bias and targeting their 1.2 million med students to hear you know, what is and isn't being said in this curriculum and then hoping that our workshops can actually be embedded into creating some of this change and that Michael Herstory can be a partner with these medical schools and really leading the charge to create change. That is so inspiring. I like how you're working with like different countries as well, because obviously different countries has they they have their own way of you know medical curriculum and way of teaching. But it's it's just crazy to hear that in each country you just see these same mistakes being made. And I guess it's just like a big work ahead 
to just eliminate this completely. But I guess if you can at least improve a little bit, like bits by bits, then that's already like a big, like a big step. I had another topic that I wanted to discuss because I saw that you worked on a systematic review of COVID-19 responses related to health equity. So maybe Mm -hmm. can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, for sure. So as I said, I'm academic as well as an activist. So a lot of my work is pretty varied. This is a project I led with Polygia actually at the start of the pandemic that was really looking at the way that we can measure health equity in healthcare systems. So these have been um, certain tools have been reported to be really useful or helpful. And we wanted to see what the literature actually was saying in terms of the recommendations. So those are results that we're still working on that we're in the process of publishing. But what we have found is that health systems are ready often to talk about equity. They're just not sure how to go about it. I think honestly, we've seen how gender inequities have been just exacerbated or brought to the forefront of these issues. Um, you know, what was deemed as essential healthcare, that so many trans people's transitions were paused. They were just not seen as essential. That uh, fertility treatments were not seen as essential. That access to basic reproductive rights were being uh, delayed or canceled or not prioritized, I think, really spoke volumes that, you know, patients have been aware that these inequities have been in these health systems forever since they have been built. But I think with COVID, we've seen them be brought to light and having discussions, especially, you know, around the vaccines as well, of how the 70 kilo white, able-bodied cisgender male is the default, that COVID vaccines have been dosed according to that weight, that when women are reporting more um, symptoms or side effects, that they often are dismissed when I just learned that women produce twice as many antibodies as men and that these are facts that just don't get translated to the public. They're not seen as as worthy of having discussions. I think it's been one example of looking at how, you know, research bias in medicine, gender bias, uh, exclusion of women and gender nonconforming people is really uh, still prevalent. It's it's really interesting. We've talked about like a lot um, also like between Selena and me about like sex and gender based medicine. And I mean, we're hoping and to be in like a time where there's like a big movement. It's a bit sad to see about, you know, like the vaccine, which is literally just happening this year, last year, is that there's still this thought where women is to be displaced, you know, like all these side effects or things like that are just being displaced, even though we're hoping to be in a time where it's not like this anymore. It just shows how much more yeah, work there is to do. So medical story. I mean, it's a platform. It's also like a social impact movement, uh, right? So do you have any advice how to get something like this started? How was this whole process for you? So as I sort of alluded to earlier, my goal was never to start an international movement. My goal was to share my story of frustration, of pain, of dismissal. And once I had done that and gone through that process for myself and seen, you know, what was empowering, what were the pitfalls of the publication I chose to share my story with, wanting to create the ideal space for others was really my focus. And I grew Medical Her Story, honestly, because other people wanted to get involved. So we started onboarding people and it was actually just in the last year that our team went from three individuals to over 115. It's been really inspiring, but also a bit heartbreaking to see that this is such a universally relevant issue, that people from all over the world are speaking out about this and feeling that they too are not being heard by their healthcare professionals. So 
I don't know if I have the most advice for recreating the model since it was born out of a lot of word of mouth, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and we are continuing to expand. We're hoping to have local chapters started come the fall and just keep growing that way because we noticed that, you know, it was born out of a need that I saw to have this community. And I'm so happy that we've had this social impact. But I think my advice would be that if you have an issue you care about, don't be afraid to speak up. You know, I think young women are often told that it's inappropriate, it's unladylike to discuss your body, especially your sexual health. And that can lead to a lot of people suffering in silence. I'm not going to pretend like this is a space that is accessible to everyone. I come with a lot of privilege that made it safe for me to tell my story, that made me not concerned about, you know, what my employer would think, what my family would think. Um, I, I wouldn't be in danger by raising my voice. But we know from other people that isn't always available. And that's why a lot of the stories on our website end up being um, anonymous as well, because these issues are still really stigmatized and, uh, and have a lot of barriers to speaking freely. But I would say that if you have something you feel passionate about, you are the best person to take on that cause. Your lived experience is what makes it valuable. No degree, no years of professional experience are gonna replace that. And I think that if you're focused on the movement, not focused on, you know, growth or numbers or Instagram followers, that's where success is going to come from. Um, at least in my experience, that's been the case. Because you work internationally, well, at least with like European countries, and what are the main differences between countries in terms of health inequity? I think what we've seen across different countries is, of course, different medical systems have different ways of operating. I always joke that, at least in Canada, I don't have to pay for the shitty care I receive. I think with public health care systems, what we've seen or what we've heard from other patients who are in the in across Europe or in the UK is, you know, is this worth seeking health care for? Am I deserving of this free health care? Is someone else, you know, has a concern that's more relevant than mine? But what we hear from our U.S. counterparts is, you know, it's then can I afford it? Can I pay for it? There's definitely, I think, differences there. Um, there's also a lot of similarities in terms of even the phrases that people have received from doctors. Uh, for example, my classic line about, you know, some people get cold, some people get chronic yeast infections. It's been sort of similarly repeated to people who have been in the UK and in the States um, and also abroad. So I think it's been interesting to see that there are some commonalities that, of course, are rooted in these larger social discourses around acceptable bodies, which I think is really important to be talking about. But I think, yeah, there's so much local relevance um, that we try to touch on as well that I'm always learning about from our different team members. So I think there are some differences in that in terms of culture um, and also the way people talk about their healthcare system. So whenever we go and give a workshop in a medical school, we make sure to do some research on sort of local attitudes um, and our patient tips. We're very mindful that what works for one person won't work for everyone. And we try to be just really inclusive and we have great worksheets um, where people can make their own plans for self-advocacy, you know, take what works for you, leave what won't. We know that there are many barriers and discriminations amongst different intersectional groups that we have to account for. So we try to do our best, but definitely, you know, I can only speak from my own lived experience. So I'll let our other volunteers speak to theirs. Amazing. No, I, I find it really interesting because, I mean, obviously, so I'm, I'm from Germany, so I've experienced the healthcare system there. And then moving to the UK, I've also noticed, um, yeah, 
quite big differences in there. So yeah, so do you maybe have some advice for um, for us, for the listeners, what we can do in our everyday lives to add to advancing gender equity and undoing these stigmas? Definitely. I think centering lived experience is so important and giving people space to have those conversations you know so often people want to be talking about these issues but they don't have the space the language the resources to do so so i think you know setting examples like we're doing here today and having these conversations unapologetically without shame stigma or judgment i think is so powerful and can encourage other people because once you've heard someone else talk about their body, talk about their health and have confidence in that and not feed into all these things we've been fed around that women, you know, are hysterical, they're overly emotional, they exaggerate their pain, it's all in their heads. Like once you get over that, you find your power, you can step into your power and say, you know, this is my body, I'm the expert in my body, in my lived experience, and I deserve care. And unfortunately, often this means I'm going to need to fight tooth and nail to get my care that I deserve to get that referral. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a long process. And, you know, patient advocacy alone is not going to fix inequities in healthcare. We need changes at a structural level. We need policy changes. We need healthcare professionals to take this seriously. We need the research there so that, you know, when a physician does believe a patient and they want to help, they often just don't even have the resources. We don't have the research, we don't have the medications, we don't have the treatment plans. But I think we can also do a lot of work to empower people as the podcast is doing to, you know, use your voice and know that those small changes mean something. When you help someone share their story and they become empowered, you've changed a life. When someone's able to go and seek out healthcare confidently when they're able to, you know, have their list of questions, ask for that referral, they're able to tell you what they need, that is real change. Or a healthcare professional, you know, is able to stop and think, would I be treating this patient same, the same if their gender was different, is really impactful. So those would be a few of my, my words of advice. I'm very passionate about the topic. So I'm really excited to have been a uh, part of this today. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for all these tips. I wish our listeners now feel a bit more empowered to talk about their own issues, their own bodies. And as you said, we are the ones who know the best about our bodies. And if you feel like something's not right, then something's probably not right. So yeah, I'm really excited about all that you're doing. And and it's great that you're sharing this with us today. So finally, I'm just going to ask you our last question, which is what is your favorite word or quote and why? My favorite word or quote, hmm. Yeah, I think my favorite one would be, which we've been saying, is that you are the expert of your lived experience. I think that is such a take-home message and something you can repeat to yourself. Amazing. That was the perfect ending, I would say. So uh, very (laughs) motivating ending. (laughs) Thank you so much. much. (laughs) That is amazing. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tori as much as we did. And now feel more confident about opening up about your own medical experiences and advocating for your health. Check out the show notes if you wish to learn more about Medical Health Story or to get in touch with Tori and her team. And as always, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it around you so that we can reach and empower more people to elevate their lives. If you wish to support our work, please check out our link tree where you can find a link to donate. See you next week for another exciting episode.